Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of James Talks. It's great to have you here with uh, here with me today, and I've got another special guest with me today, um, Nish Wyseth, all the way from um, Utah in the States. Um, hi, Nish, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So, yeah, uh, and Nish is a, uh, an author and a blogger and a speaker, and um, she's awesome. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, I love her stuff. She's got one book out already called Speak. Um, it's about the power of story, and she's just finishing her second book, which I've just heard about and is kind of exciting. Um, so, yeah, okay, so Nish, um, yeah, welcome, and just uh, just tell us a bit of your story and who you are and your background. Yeah, so um, let's see. My story, I um, it kind of all starts being grown up in this well, being raised in the South. Um, I was raised in a state called North Carolina in the States, um, which is a part of what we would call the Bible Belt, and very conservative, very Christian. Mm. Um, but my parents are atheists. Um, oh, really? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So growing up in the South, being raised by atheist parents, it was um, very interesting, <laughs> very interesting experience from a faith perspective. Um, cause everyone that I knew went to church, everyone I knew, um, was involved in, you know, some level of Christianity. And so, um, we moved to North Carolina when I was 12 ish. Mm. And so, um, it was, it was kind of a culture shock. Um, even coming from a place like Texas, we had moved from Texas, but mm. the deep South is very different. Um, it's like its own planet. And so, um, yeah, I moved there and I became a follower of Jesus when I was a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. And, um, from that point on, it really was this journey of feeling like an outsider, even in my own family. Mm -hmm. In so many ways, I've been an outsider. I've been, um, kind of the, the black sheep, <laughs> I guess, um, and I went away to college and um, went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Right. And somehow in Boulder, Colorado, I don't know if you know much about Boulder, it is very, very liberal, very hippie, very progressive. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful cool. place. It's beautiful. Um, but it is all of those things as well. And I got very steeped in megachurch conservative evangelical culture in Boulder wow. of all places. And so, um, I was an outsider there too. And then, um, I met my husband at that church. We were volunteers with, uh, high schoolers. Right. What we did, we were youth group leaders and which we all say was like our version of match.com. If you wanted to find a husband, go yeah. volunteer with the high schoolers. It's exactly so. <laughs> the same here. Like, but the youth workers will get together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It always happens. It yeah. always happens that way. I think, I mean, I can't even count how many people got married out of the youth group that we were in. It was crazy. Um, and so <laughs> met my husband and we got married right after graduation. And then we moved, um, to Portland, Oregon. Right. Where, if you know anything about Portland, <laughs> vaguely, is, but not much. It's a it's a lot like Boulder, except like a major metropolitan, like major metropolitan area. Right. Um. It's. I mean, it's like Boulder on steroids. It's just um, very progressive, very liberal, very democratic, very environmentally friendly, very LGBT friendly. Very. I mean, just everything that you could possibly imagine. Sounds a good place. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful place, <laughs> and it's beautiful. Um, and so we moved there from Boulder, um, after coming out of a pretty, I would say probably painful church experience. We left the mega church, um, mm. in Colorado right after we got, um, right after we graduated and we just felt really burned. We felt really, um, just over it. <laughs> we were really <laughs> done yeah. with it. And so we took a lot of time off, um, from church then and, about, I don't know, six months to a year after arriving in Portland, we ended up landing at this church called Imago Day Community. Um, and the lead pastor is Rick McKinley. You may have recognized the church from Don Miller's book, Blue Like Jazz. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I remember that book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so we ended up at that church not knowing that it was the same one that he was talking about. We had no idea. <laughs> really? We ended up there anyway. Um as it so happens. And we were there and I was on staff there for five years wow. until 
I had my son, my first kid. And then we had some friends, um, who were planting a church in Utah. They were on staff at our church in Portland. And, um, when they went to the leadership of our church and said, Hey, we want to go plant a church. Um, they were totally on board, very supportive. And, um, one of the pastors looked at Kyle, the guy who's planting the church. And when Kyle asked, like, can I approach some people about going mm. with me? Mm. Uh, that pastor said, make us bleed. And so there are about 40 people that moved from Portland to Utah to Salt Lake City. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is, like, unheard of. It's That's crazy. Like, an like, people just, like, up and left their jobs, sold their houses. I mean, we sold our house. Like, wow. nothing, like... Nothing really planned out. Everyone just up and moved that's, that's, to Utah. That's, that's awesome. That's incredible. It was amazing. I've never yeah. seen Oh, wow. That's, yeah. Wow. Really cool. It's a really cool story. Um, and we were amongst those people. We were actually some of the first to commit, but some of the last to arrive because our house just would not sell. So anyway, we ended right. up here eventually. Um, and so now we've been a part of this church for almost, it's been four years so wow. we've been living here in Salt Lake. Um, very, I would probably classify us as very progressive, very liberal. <laughs> um, living in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is very Mormon, very conservative, very mm. like everything else you could possibly think of. Yeah. Um, so my, I guess my journey, my faith story really is just, I'm just always kind of on the outside. I don't know why. <laughs> I just am. Oh, I've just kind of always managed to be there and, but it's a beautiful place to be. I feel like there's just a lot of freedom there and a lot of, um, I don't know, just a lot of beauty, you know, kind of out in the wilderness. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my background, um, kind of how I landed where I am. Um, but yeah, there you go. The full story. That's amazing. I mean, I, I totally resonate with being on the outside. It, I've kind of been an outsider all my... I mean, you probably don't know much of my story, but um, I've been I've been pretty much an outsider my life, my whole life as well, kind of, okay. you know, bullied at school and, you know, my parents were uh, the parents that broke up when I was, you know, well, in the midst of breaking up while I was a teenager and oh, my yeah, mum so was... My mum had asthma and she had brain... She lost her short-term memory and, and so home was difficult and had a, yeah. there was addiction problems and... Um, and then my mum, then when I was 23, my mum passed away. So I was kind of like, you know, I always felt, I've always felt like an outsider. And, uh, in terms of my theology, I feel very much in terms of an outsider, <laughs> you know, me too. I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, my church is quite a liberal progressive church, you know, um, an sure. inclusive church, but there's, there's members, there's people, I think that's more the leadership. I think a lot of the members are more kind of they're kind of liberal but evangelical so you know um i'm so i'm still a bit of a i'm still still a bit of an outsider there but i used to i used to dislike being an outsider when i was younger but now i actually prefer it um yeah yeah, it's so much better so um it can be lonely sometimes but at the same time it's like yeah i don't know i kind of like it yeah it's more of of an adventure i think Mm -hmm. it's more risky yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I've um, I've heard you talk about um, your struggles with um, mental illness and depression and stuff before um, on some videos that you did a while back. Um, yeah. So just tell us a bit about just going you know, bit bit more a bit more into a bit more detail about that. Yeah, yeah. So um, looking back, I'd say that I have probably struggled with it my whole life. I just don't think I really had a name for it. You know what I mean? Like, um, I was always very, I mean, not to say that introspective people are obviously, or like more prone to mental illness or anything, but, um, it was, it was always much more of an extreme, you know, I would kind of close off and get too inside myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and really struggled with, um, dark thoughts, very dark emotions, um, heavy emotions and just not having a name for that. And, I mean, I remember being, you know, 15 and 16 and just really struggling with it. And my parents not really knowing what it was or what to do. Um, and I never went to counseling. I never did any of that as a, as a kid. Mm. Um, mostly because I don't think 
anybody really knew what it was. Like, I don't think we kind of had a vocabulary for it. Mm. And so, um, when I, right after I gave birth to my son, my son Rowan, who's six now, um, the postpartum depression was blatant. Um, it it was obvious. There was no, there was no way to deny it. Um, you know, failed suicide attempt. Um, I mean, it was just, it was very, very clear. And so, um, since that point, like that was probably the, the heightened, the, probably the most extreme of mental illness that I had experienced. I think that the birth of my son and, um, everything else that happens after birth, um, for so many women really kind of, I don't know, breathe new life into it for me in a very, um, extreme way. And so that has been, it's just been a journey. And on top of that, it's been, you know, sort of like manic depression. There's been anxiety. There's been, um, there's been a lot of that. And so, um, the thing about postpartum depression was that it, it eventually like there was, um, there was respite from it. It eventually Mm. got better. Like the worst of it was better, but there was still a lot of lingering things that were, that, you know, I was still dealing with. And I real that's when I realized like, Oh, this isn't just this one instance of depression after giving birth. I think I've had some form of this my whole life. Um, and counseling really gave words to that for me. And so, um, it's, it's just, it's, it's just constantly a journey. It's figuring out, um, you know, what are the things that are, you know, healthy for you? What, you know, what things aren't healthy for you? What are, you know, some things that can make your day worse when it comes to depression, anxiety, what are things that make it better? What are, um, what are ways that you can cope? What are I mean, all of those types of things? And I think that as we grow and mature as people and change as people, those things vary and they can change. And so in so many ways, it's been this journey of figuring out, like, as I've grown as a person, like how, how then do I continue to take care of myself? Um, and how then does that affect my mental health? Yeah. Um, and in what ways do is my mental health changing along with, you know, who I am as a person? Um, because as much as, you know, we like to say, Oh, it's, you know, not you, it's, you know, this thing that attacks your mind or, you know, whatever yeah. I, I'm made with the brain and the chemistry makeup that I have and yeah. being prone to mental illness is just a part of who I am. And so what does that mean for me? What does that mean? You know, being a whole person, um, created in the image of God and, um, you know, just, walking through that it's it's hard it's super hard but Mm. um especially in the church because we don't like to talk about it um and if we if 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 we do talk about it we like to talk about how you can just pray it away um and that's not always super helpful (laughs) as you probably know um so it's uh (laughs) yeah it's just um yeah. <laughs> it's just a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing in the church. And so, um, I mean, I've just, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, I've, I've, there's people in my church who struggle with depression and yeah. we're really good at acknowledging, um, mental illness. I mean, uh, the part of pastor, um, when he first went full time, it's a church plant. So when he, okay. the day he went first full time as a pastor, he had a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a long time ago now, I and mean, he's he's come you know, come back from that now. And they're out, and they're one of the youngest, uh, the youngest has um, is autistic. So, yeah. um, so that, that's it's actually quite a big part of our our church makeup yes. in a sense. So, um, it's a really safe place for people to come who've got have got those kind of issues and to talk. And it's a safe people feel totally comfortable talking about those those issues there. So that and that's. That's, I, you know, I'm quite lucky, I know, because not all churches are like that. So, yeah, um, yeah, think- it is. It's, um, and I don't know, I don't know if it's um, the same in the UK as it is here, but so often, you know, it's this idea of um, exceptionalism and, you know, kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. It's like, you can get over it, you can get over it, and... Well, what do you say to the people who can't? They've been living with this their whole life. And mm. that mentality, I think, in a lot of ways has seeped into the church. And so how do you combat that? Um, and one of the ways I have found is just being open and honest about it and going, oh, 
I struggle with it. Like, and it's okay to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make me crazy. It doesn't make me, you know, I mean, or any of those things, right? It's just, um, it's who I am. It's a piece of me. It's, um, it's not the whole of me, but it's a piece of me. And what does that mean? And being open and honest about that dialogue, I think gives people the freedom to do the same and say, Oh, I can talk about that. Or I can talk about my son who struggles with it. Or I can talk about my spouse who mm. struggles with it. It just, it, by being open and honest about it, it, it creates that safe, that yeah. safe place to go. Yeah. Oh, we're not alone in dealing with this. And yeah. that's the biggest thing I think people with mental illness want to know is that they're not alone. Yeah. It that's does, how I feel. Yeah. That's definitely in my experience of people knowing people who've had depression and mental illness and anxiety and stuff and having anxiety myself. Um, yes. it's just, you want to know that you're not alone and that you don't have to bury it all inside of you and just keep it all to yourself because, totally. and that can lead, that just leads on onto a downward spiral and makes things worse. So, yeah, totally um, agree. um, so you just have to, you know, create those safe and church should be a safe space where you can do that you it know. should be the first safe space yeah exactly i always <laughs> I like think. i always like to, I, my kind of my ideal of church has always been um a, a kind of a, an alcoholics anonymous meeting because you go in there and there's like there's a sign on the top that says no bullshit and you can just <laughs> um you just go in and you're just completely honest and completely yourself I love that. and just like you can be completely vulnerable and safe as you are and say, this is me, this is who I am, Beautiful. I'm not perfect, but I'm enough as I am anyway. I mean, that's kind of what grace is about. You know, I talk about yeah. this in my book, actually, that, you know, that's what church should be, a space where you can come and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not perfect, but, I'm, but I know that even in my imperfections, I'm completely loved and accepted and valuable and precious and lovable. Yes, yeah, um, because God does not make anything he doesn't love. Right, and sometimes we forget that. Yeah, I love that phrase. (laughs) Yeah, God does not make anything he doesn't love. And so it's just this, we forget that all the time. Yeah, Um, I forget that. And it's really easy to forget that as a person living with mental illness, let alone just, you know, anybody. I mean, anybody is easy to forget that. But when you struggle with things like this, it, you know, makes it all the more difficult. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, how has this impacted your your faith (laughs) and your relationship with Jesus and all that kind of thing? Mm, that's a good question. In a lot of ways, it has forced, um, it's a lot of ways it's, um, made it more intimate. Mm. Um, at the beginning it was hard when mm. I realized what it was and I got that, like, I don't know, that first diagnosis and realizing like what this meant moving forward. And you don't want to be labeled either, right? Like everyone hates labels, even though you can't really know what you're fighting until you have a name for it sometimes. And so, um, the first little bit, I was really angry, um, and Mm. feeling bitter, um, feeling really lost, um, not knowing how this, um, played into things. And so like in my mind, I had always equated my depression as something other than myself. Like, okay, no, this is something that's happening to me rather than this is like my general makeup and who I am is predisposed to these sorts of things. And so like, you kind of have to, um, wrestle with that a little bit. And that wrestling was really hard to go. Oh, I am a person loved and made in the image of God who also has depression and anxiety. Like, what does that mean? Um, yeah. And so really having to wrestle those things to the ground and still not really feeling like I have a great answer or, um, any sort of, you know, faith moving foundational understanding, like of yeah. what that means. But what I do know at the end of the day is that my mental illness doesn't disqualify me in any way, um, in being in relationship with Jesus in being an active and, um, you know, useful member of the church and in all of those things. And so, um, when I came to that realization of going, no, God loves me for me, even including my mental illness, Mm. um, that was very freeing and it freed me up to really have a more intimate relationship with the Lord and go, 
like he, he not only loves me, it, it's, it's not that he loves me in spite of this. He loves me mm. even, right? Like he loves me yeah. full stop. Right. Um, and a lot of times we like to have those little caveats at the end. Like he loves me in spite of, or he loves me, you know, even though it's like, no, no, no. He just loves me. Boom. Like that's it. Yeah. There's no and caveat. It just, it's just all of it. I love you. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And all of me. Yeah. Like all of it. Um, you know, I, yeah. I think he, he weeps and he, you know, he doesn't want struggle. He doesn't want strife. I think that, you know, the ideal is that there wouldn't be people with mental illness. I really believe that because it is, mm. you know, a very dark and painful thing. Um, yeah. it can be, it can also be very beautiful, but it can also be very dark and painful. And that is not God's ideal for the world. Um, that there would be dark and painful things, but there are, and that's the reality. And I think he loves us anyway. Like he just loves us yeah. and with, with all of it. And so coming to that understanding and really owning that for myself, it's, it's, it's one thing to see it and know it in your head, but it's another thing to really feel it and understand it for yourself yeah, and to is. accept it for yourself. It is. Yeah. I mean, I always, when I, when I talk about to people about grace, I said there's two there's two sides of this of grace. There's, there's the side which confronts the kind of truth about you who you are, which you don't want to acknowledge, which is you know all the mistakes and flaws and imperfections and all that kind of thing, which sure. God which God wants to heal and transform and change and stuff. But I I, I actually think the hardest the hardest stuff to accept about grace is that you're lo- you're just loved. Yep. That's it. You're just loved, and that's it. And yes. there's nothing you can do about it. And uh-huh. It's unconditional and infinite, and yeah, and that's it. And that's that's almost more difficult to receive, I think, than the kind of oh, you know, you're, you've made you've made, made a mistake, you've you sinned, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. you're guilty of. Well, you've made those kind of mistakes because we know we've done those things, you know. Yeah. Um, totally. But yeah, it's, there's kind of this good side and bad side, and the yeah. good stuff is often more difficult to to receive especially if you've got a low low self-esteem and low sense of self-worth and anxiety and all those mm-hmm. kind of things it's, it's really it can be really tough yeah absolutely i agree completely agree with that so yeah. thank you <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. um um how did oh yeah the, the other thing um mm-hmm. how did the depression and uh impact impact you creatively obviously because you're a writer and um and a speaker as well. So how did yeah. that impact that? <laughs> it's interesting that you asked that because, um, well, this is a multi-layered question, but the first thing I would say is I actually started writing and blogging because of my depression. Isn't that funny? Like, isn't wow. that wild that that's how it happened? Um, after my son was born, I was stricken with the postpartum variety of depression yeah. on top of everything else I was already dealing with at the time. And so, um, talking with my therapist and, um, trying to figure out some like good coping mechanisms for like, what are some healthy ways for me to express myself? What are some healthy ways for me to engage my mind in things that are outside of, the anxiety and all of these emotions that are taking over when it comes to my kid. And so I had this idea like, Oh, I'll just, I think I'll start a blog. That'll be fun. Like that'll give me something to do. I'll just write. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started a blog called the outdoor wife. Um, cause my husband runs a, a whitewater rafting business and we're very outdoorsy. Um, oh, and all of those things. I mean, it's just kind of our life. It's our lifestyle. And so, in our livelihood pays the bills. Um, and so I started this blog called the outdoor wife where I really talked about like raising a kid and being outdoorsy and being married to this guy and you know, all of those things. Hmm. Um, and that lasted for a little while, like that content lasted for a little while. And then I started to write stuff that was a little heavier. Hmm. Um, started talking about God more, started talking about theology more, started talking about issues more and all that kind of stuff. And then I, from there I realized like, Oh, I'm like, I really like to write and I'm kind of good at this. <laughs> um, <'cause laughs> nice started to read and, um, and so I'm like, Oh, this is, this is like a thing now. Like I didn't really 
ever imagine it would be like a thing that I'd be a writer, but yeah. here I am. And, um, That's that awesome. was about the time that, uh, deeper story was formed. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, uh, story. Yep. I remember that song. Yeah. That yeah. Awesome. Uh-huh. So I started deeper story with just a handful of friends. Um, and people, a couple people I didn't even know. I just liked their writing and reached out to them and hoped they said yes. And so they did. And that exploded. It became this big thing. And, um, before I knew it, I was, you know, being solicited by publishers, um, to write a book. And so it, all of it was born out of this pe- period of horrible darkness and mental illness. Wow. Um, all nice. of it happened really because of it. Like I, w- I don't think I would have ever come to this. Maybe I would have, um, yeah. you can't really outrun your calling, right? Like at some point it no. probably would have caught up to me, but um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um. <laughs> so, but it all was born out of that period of my life, which was the, wow. the hardest and darkest point of my life that I can remember. And yet something so beautiful and wonderful and life-giving came from it. Now it's like, it's my job. It's my profession. It's what I get to do. It's what I'm paid to do, which is insane. Um, All of it's just kind of crazy. So, yeah. So that is how, like, depression has ultimately, like, affected all of it. Which is crazy. It's its own wild story. It's just, I'm just like so like excited, but that's just like totally made my day. That story. <laughs> it's such know, an awesome story. Wild. I love it's that. It's such a cool story. I know. Anytime I tell that story to you know writers, especially people who live with mental illness, they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's pretty." Cool. I just love how I just love how God uses those really like dark, dark moments. Like I've heard so many stories of like oh, I went through this really dark time and then this happened and this came out of it, you know. And yep. it's just, like, it's so amazing when that happens. I mean, I I, I mean, I've I got a similar story, although it's not quite the same, but, you know, my mum died in, like, 2000, and um, which is, like, the worst day of my life, you know. Um, and, but I've looked, like, like, more recently, I've looked back and... I've seen if she hadn't died, I wouldn't have been left a house. Me and my sister wouldn't have been left a house with a two-bedroom flat, which meant which meant that I wouldn't have been able to host the guy uh, in my church who used to go and watch football, and we wouldn't have become best friends. Mm. And then he wouldn't have introduced me to the church that I'm now part of and have been there yeah. for 10 years, which totally changed my life, you know. Yeah. And my dad wouldn't have come to that church. And, yeah. you know what I mean? And all of that happened because my, because my mum died. Yeah. You know, no, I wouldn't want one, you know, I'd take my mum back in an instant. But, you know, sure. but at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, but God redeemed it. You know, God mm-hmm. used, God took it and made it, made something good out of it, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, and actually I got, a, I was getting prayed for recently and I got a word saying like, you know, it was of me and God kneeling at my mum's grave weeping and, him like saying like this one this kind of i'm getting choked up talking about it um (laughs) but him promising me that that like then and i didn't hear him at the time but he was saying this won't be wasted you know that's right and yeah because i don't believe anything is and it is wasted you know and um in fact actually i think the darkest stuff we go through can actually be the stuff which brings love to other people i think that's yeah yeah, and um, I don't know if you follow Anne Boskamp at all. She's a friend of oh, mine. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love her, yeah. Yeah, oh, she's just that woman. I love her. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. She's she's just remarkable. She's a remarkable human, just in general. If yeah. you ever get the chance to meet her and talk to her, please I, do. I would love to have just, her on, actually, one day, yeah. She's just remarkable. I got to travel to Israel with her in the spring, and just incredible woman. And she has this... Um, phrase where she says you know like in the moment where god has you in the darkness you know she uses that image in the old testament of you know being in the cave and being you know in the cleft of the rock and that's when god's presence actually passes over um and she's like in those moments when you're like in complete darkness Mm. that may be when god is actually the most near um you know where his presence is literally like over you um i just i love that imagery and so if you allow and that's the thing you just have to allow yourself to feel that and accept it and um 
have even like the heart and awareness to look back on those, you know, on those experiences and see where God was moving the whole time and go, oh, there's, that was really shitty, but that was also really beautiful. <laughs> look at all yeah. this, you know, that came from it. Um, and so it's, uh, it's a both and. Right. It's, it's, it's not yeah. an either-or. It's a both-and. Yeah, it is um, both yeah. shitty and amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Truth. I'm very much a both-and person, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Both-and, yeah. for sure. Uh, awesome. That's just... Wow. I'm blown away. That's inspiring. That's inspiring. <laughs> um, cool. Um, yeah, so, yeah, your book, um, Speak, um, yeah. which, by the way, everyone's going by it. Um, it's awesome. Um it's about the power of story, isn't it? So just to kind of, um, and obviously you, wrote, you had the site, A Deeper Story as well, so story is quite a powerful thing for you. So just just kind of explain to us what um, the power of story for you and how it's impacted your life. Oh, it's hard to imagine it. I, it's impacted it in pretty much every way possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, even for... Gosh, as far back as I as I can remember, it um, the thing that even compelled me to believe the story of Jesus was someone else's story of encountering the love and grace of God. It was a friend of mine in high school who told me and brought me to. We had this organization here called Young Life. I don't know if you have it in, in the UK, but um, mm. she brought me to she brought me to Young Life, and um, you know, constantly told me about the love and grace of Jesus and how it had worked in her life and how she had experienced it in her life. And so it was her story, it was her encounter and her transformation. Um, because of Jesus is the thing that compelled me to even pay attention. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't, you know, a preacher giving a great sermon. It wasn't, you know, any of that stuff. It was someone's story of their encounter with Jesus that compelled me to pay attention. And so, um, that's just at the very beginning, like that's the very beginning of my faith story. And so, mm-hmm. um, and it has affected everything in my life since. I mean, it certainly affects, I mean, we talked about mental illness, you know, that like that the power of saying, Oh, me too, to someone with mental illness is like, I mean, it can, it can change the course of a person's life. Um, because when you are in the darkness and you feel so alone and that there's no hope, the minute someone says, no, me too, like that can give someone hope, like in just an instant. But you can't do that unless you share your story and how you have found hope yourself. And so um, it has changed everything for me. Um, It has changed the way I view certain issues in politics. It has changed um, certain issues in how I view um, things in the church and how church should be. Um, It has all of the things that have forced me to re-examine some things have always been someone's lived experience expressed to me and communicated to me. Yeah. Um, that's the thing that makes me pause and stop and go, Oh, this is not just an issue. This is a real life thing that affects someone. Yeah. Um, and so story in and of itself takes, you know, an issue. It takes, something that feels intangible and puts skin on it. And all of a sudden you don't look at it the same anymore because it's a person, right? It's a real live person who is dealing with something that you have only talked about theoretically. Mm. And, all of a, and all of a sudden there's a face. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I always, Oh, I, I don't know who said it, but um, you know, you can tell someone all the facts and about a situation about yeah. a problem that's going on in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. But when you hear a story, when there's a face, when there's a name, when there's real suffering, it changes everything. I mean, it actually, it's the same with um, things like LGBT, you know, um, inclusion in the church, you know. Um, there was a couple I knew in our, um, not in our church, but in another church, 
um, we were doing a course on LGBT inclusion in our church and um, they said that they'd always been kind of, you know, the traditional view and then they, um, I think it was their daughter, uh, came out to them and suddenly it like changed everything. They went back to look at the uh, yes. Bible and they, they they kind of examined it in more detail and they, they were asking questions and they, and, and actually it changed, their whole theology changed because... Because of some, because their daughter was coming out to them, and so like, theology doesn't happen in a vacuum. No, exactly. That's right. That's right. So as soon as you put a face on it and a yeah. name, it changes everything. Um, yeah, so, yeah. It, it can. It certainly can, and then oftentimes it should. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I mean, we should be, you know. We should be adding context, right, and um, humanization to some of these things, right? Because they don't happen in a vacuum. Like our theology and our understanding of who God is and who he loves and his desire for his church, all of those types of things. Like Mm. they don't happen in like, you know, a fairy tale universe with unicorns. Like they happen to real life people in real life families. And so the more that we can not just remember that, but actually experience it for ourselves. Um, I think the more tender and the more loving and compassionate we are, the more we are shaped into the image of Jesus because Jesus didn't, um, Jesus didn't just care about like the issue. He cared about the heart that needed tending, right? Like he was always Mm. with the people he was always with. I mean, like, he didn't just like cure the man with leprosy, no. right? Like he didn't just cure the man with leprosy. like did he? Mm. Yes, he healed him. But he also reached out and like touched his face. This man mm. who was like suffering from leprosy who probably had not been touched in God knows how long or even looked at in the eyes and yeah. Jesus was reached out and like touched his face and you're like, "Oh, of course. Yes, human touch, human like going outside of our bounds and allowing the human experience to affect us is, um, yeah. and affect who we are and who we understand God to be, um, is everything. It's just yeah. everything. And I think that it gets truly at the heart of who God is. So yeah. anyway, I can preach on it for hours, but, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> um, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that more so another time, but no, I mean, I, I think you're, I think there's a reason that Jesus t- told stories because yes. because he knew that he, he could he could preach all the theology in the world, but if he tells a story, people can connect with it much better. Mm-hmm. Like the forgiving father, you know, um, otherwise known as the prodigal son. Um, right. Like, which is like the most pow- just one of the most powerful stories in ever told. You know, mm-hmm. and you know you can talk about. Um, I like God accepting us all and welcoming us back, even though we've done stuff wrong and all that kind of thing. But when you when you tell that story, it you know it's yeah. so much more powerful. Yeah, so much more powerful. And I mean, even when he goes to like meet with, you know, he he goes through Samaria, right, to go, yeah, yeah. you know, to travel, and he ends up at you know the well with the mm. Samaritan woman, and like he's Jesus. Right, like he's God. He doesn't have to ask her everything about herself, right? No, like no. he doesn't have to. He's God. <laughs> yeah, he's fully aware of who she is, but he values her as a person enough to ask her and to listen, and that's just so important. Like he he modeled it so well, both in the telling of stories and parables, but also in allowing people to speak for themselves and to speak, um, who the, the truth of who they are to Jesus. Um, you know, which, you know, so often Jesus says, and then he had compassion on them, right? Mm. Like after they spoke, after they told their story, after they, you know, asked for forgiveness or mercy or healing, he said, Mm. I had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. And so it's, it is the thing that, can change the hearts of people in an instant. I mean, just in an instant. Yeah. And so, I mean, we see it in politics too, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Speechwriters are not dumb. They're no. super smart. They know that to, 
make a compelling case, you have to tell the story of the people who are impacted, right? Like, we hear it in the State of the Union here, we hear it in stump speeches, we hear it all the time of like, well, I met Mary, who was da-da-da-da-da, and she, and they tell this great story of this woman yeah, who was impacted by, you know, whatever it is that they're talking about, and because it works. It's important. It's a real-life person that's affected by these things, and so um, it's just, you know, it's the best way to go about it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Crikey. No way. So, um, in terms of creativity, what... Because obviously at the moment there's a lot of people who are marketing stuff about, you know, how to build your platform and how to build your tribe. And and a lot of them are Christians as well. And, Uh you know... And, you know, I almost got sucked into that at one point, you know. I, um, <laughs> it's easy to. It, it's really easy to, because it plays to your ego, you know. It plays to your ego yep. completely. Um, uh, fortunately, I kind of escaped that. Um, <laughs> so now I'm an outsider there as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things I, that, I, that I kind of learnt was you've got to... There is a reality of marketing and, and a, you know, and promoting yes. your work and all that kind of thing. Totally. Um, but... At the same time, it's really, really important to keep authenticity and artistic integrity. And you know, I mean, I, I wrote an ebook on this, which is on my site. Um, um, but how do you kind of maintain? Like, because obviously now you, you're starting to make money from what you do, from your creative work. So how do you kind of maintain authenticity in, in your creative work and keep that artistic integrity? What what is it that kind of keeps that that for you? Yeah, that's a hard question because you know. Um, the truth is now that, you know, I have published a book and I am under contract with the publisher, part of my job as an author is to leverage whatever influence I have to make sure that my book is selling, right? Mm. And the thing is, is that I want to do that anyway. Um, I It gives me the creeps <laughs> to, like, self-promote and, like, talk about how great I am and retweet, you know, things about myself and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just yeah. kind of like, ugh. Yeah. Creepy crawlies. Yeah. Um, some people are really great at it and they just don't even bat an eye. For me, it's very, very hard. I don't like it. I hate it. It's the worst part of my job, but it's also part of my job. And so, um, trying to strike the balance is super hard. And the thing that I always try to keep in mind, um, when I'm engaging in the marketing stuff, particularly, is that I firmly believe that the message that I have that I have written or that I am speaking or whatever that looks like, that I believe it and I believe that people need to hear it. Like I wouldn't have said it and I wouldn't have written it if I didn't think it was really important. And so, um, like I'm I I'm not that great of a blogger anymore. I only blog when I feel like I really have something to say. Mm. And when I have something to say, I feel like it's really important. And so. I'll do what I can to make sure that people read it because I think it's important. And so, um, that's the mentality that I try to keep as I'm, um, kind of engaging in that like platform type stuff, right. Is going, no, like I believe that, um, I have something valuable to say in this particular piece of work and I'm going to be faithful to the word that God has given me in this message Mm -hmm. and I'm going to steward it well and stewarding it well is making sure that the people that are in your sphere of influence hear it, right? Beyond that, um, beyond your your sphere of influence, there's, I mean, different people go about this in different ways. People have different philosophies about that. But um, I will certainly ask my big-time influence, like influential friends, like, hey, would you mind sharing it? But if they don't, that's okay. Because I have to trust them that they know what's best for their audience as well. Yeah, sure. So... But as far as the creative process and engaging the art um, and working mm. through the artistic process with all of that kind of in the back of your mind, mm. um, the thing that has helped me is that I cannot be in marketing mode and artistic mode at the same time. No, me either. Yeah. Yeah, I can't do it. Um, it's it's just two different. It's like two different sides of my brain. Like I can't. <laughs> I just I need to focus on one side before I can like engage the other. Right. Like I can't. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just, it's really difficult for me. And so, um, I have a season of, you know, I mean, I have a season of marketing and hustle. That's the truth. Yeah. But then like when I'm in writing mode, I'm in writing mode and I am, um, 
first and foremost, living well. I'm trying to live well. I'm trying to live a full life, not just Mm. busy, but really full Um, Mm. and fulfilling because that's where I create the best. Yeah. Um, And so putting a lot of that platform stuff on the back burner when I'm in creative mode. Now, granted, this is this is with book writing, which is its own thing. Blogging is a bit different because blogging is creative, but it's also hustle at the same time. Yeah, right? and I always like, find that with I always find that with um, with blogging as well. Like blogging is not my favorite thing, actually. I've got to oh, say, I much gosh. prefer writing books. You know, um, yeah. you know, I've just I mean, I'm writing a book at the, my second book at the moment, and um, uh, actually, I spent today kind of basically setting up a whole load of blog posts that I'd written, just scheduling them all to go out over the yeah. next two or three months, and. And then that's it for me blogging for like three months. Forever. Yep. So I'm just going to write this book and that's all the writing I'm going to do. And uh-huh. I'm hardly going to promote, I'm going to I'll promote them when I go out, but that'll be it, you know? Yep. And I don't have to, so I don't have to think about that or worry about it or have it in my head because otherwise yeah. it'll just distract me from focusing on what I want to create now, you know? Yeah, um, that's exactly right. So, uh, and I mean, there, there is value. I don't want to, you know, totally, you know, uh, speak ill of people who are, you know, who really concentrate on building platforms. I don't because unfortunately, especially in writing and publishing, it, it's, it is a part of the game now. It just, it just is. Yeah. People are getting book contracts, not necessarily because they're great writers, but because they have big platforms. I know. Which is and so, kind of annoying, which but is, yeah. uh, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It is frustrating. Although I will say, like, a huge reason why I got a book deal was because I had a big platform. Like, that's the truth. Yeah. I am. I I fully believe I'm a writer. I think I'm not great at it, but I'm okay. I'm good enough to write a book and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I am. That's that's the that is the reality of the market and the game right now. And people who want to completely ignore it or fooling themselves. And so the question is, where's the balance, right? Where's yeah, the line? That's, what, that's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's what I have come to learn is that it's just different for every person. Um, some people are going to be, be way more comfortable with the hustle than others. Yeah. And that's great, which means that a lot of their influence will be built around platform and other folks who, who really struggle with it, their influence will be built more around the art and, I think that there's space for both. Yeah, um, that's true. I like to lean more towards the art piece yep, rather than so the hustle. I. Yeah, um, mostly because my, I just don't have a great marketing brain. I don't no, have a great have, hustle brain. I have no marketing brain whatsoever. <laughs> it's like, no, I, um, so I mean, I have like ideas, but I'm not very good at executing them because I always feel like I'm deceiving right. people when I'm marketing stuff to yeah. people. Because I don't want to. For a marketing team, they just look at me all the time, like, "Oh, do you have any like, you know, let's talk about marketing or." what are your ideas? And I just kind of sit there like an idiot. And I'm like, I don't have any ideas. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um. Yeah. I mean, the thing about marketing for me actually is that a lot of marketing is about lack about what you don't have, you know, saying, Oh, you don't have this and let's give you this. And, and then it's also about certainty and solving problems and all that kind of thing and making promises. And I don't want to promote my work in that way, but but I still want to promote it. I still want to market uh-huh. it, but I want to do it with integrity. And I think that's that's the balance that we all have to find, isn't it? So um, Yes. And there are a lot of people who, who do that very, very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just, you know, I, you know, unabashedly ask them for advice. <laughs> <laughs> because I am really bad at it. And so that's a, that's a huge thing for me is going like, okay, where where are not my strengths, right? Like, where am I really mm. weak in some areas? And then making connections and having friendships and building relationships with people who are good at it, who can, you know, coach me and help me and go, you're like, Oh, that was a really dumb decision or you should do this or, you know, kind of help me move things along because they, they are my friends and they believe in my art as well. Yeah. And so we all have to like be in it for each other because we're all, um, well, frankly, if we want to get a little theological, right? Like we, if we believe we all have the Holy Spirit within us, we all believe that the Holy Spirit is doing the work. Yeah. And um, I have to believe that about, you know, all these other authors as much as I want them to believe it about me. And so we really have to be more for each other 
Yeah, um, collaboration. And, yeah, totally. I'm big on collaboration. I yeah, love it. I think too. it's super healthy yeah. and wonderful. It's messy, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I think it just benefits everybody in the whole. So, I don't know. I'm a big fan. Yeah. So. Does that answer your question? That was kind yeah. of convoluted. No, so. no, that was a great answer. That's a fantastic answer. Um, but okay. Yeah, brilliant. Um, wow. Time's gone so quickly, isn't it? Oh, my um, gosh. Is it time already? No, no, not yet. No, not oh. yet. Nearly. But, um, yeah, so it's, yeah, just one kind of final question. We'll definitely have you back, though. I think I think we've got loads more to talk about. Um, we'll definitely have you back, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, okay, just one, like, final kind of question. Um there probably be a lot of people listening today who struggle with mental illness and, you know, depression of, of one kind or another or anxiety or whatever and struggle with that or struggle with living with that and live, and also living with that maybe with their faith as well. So mm-hmm. from like, from your experience, what's like one word of encouragement that you would give to people in that, in that, who are living in that kind of situation? Gosh, I mean, if you're listening to this and you feel alone um the truth that i would probably speak to you is that you're not alone you may feel like you're alone and you may feel like you're totally separate or not valued or not loved by god because you're struggling with mental illness or you're um you feel like you're worthless or you don't have any value. I would just speak the truth that that's a lie. Um, you do have value. You are loved, um, intimately. You are so loved. Um, and the same God who can rescue us into eternity, into eternal life can rescue you in your everyday life. And he is, for you and I am for you and um so many who have gone before and are walking this journey as well we are for you and there's a reason to have hope there is hope there's always hope and just hang on and one more day just do the next thing put one foot in front of the other and just do the next thing sometimes that's all you can do but sometimes that's everything and so that would be my encouragement to people who are struggling with wow. that. That's so that's so encouraging. Hmm. Oh, I wow. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was. Oh man, just loved it. I I love doing this. I love that I get to do <laughs> this. It's just so awesome. Um, great. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, we'll have you back definitely. Um, Please, anytime. Yeah, and there'll be loads more. We've got loads to talk about, I'm sure. Okay, yes. well, I hope everyone listening, you've you've enjoyed this as much as as we have. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon. <laughs>